You are listening to Hospitality Talks, a podcast about all things hospitality through discussions with industry leaders around the globe. Here are your hosts, Abid Butt and Sam Eric Rutman. Fantastic. Well, it's great to be back on Hospitality Talks with a wonderful panel. Uh, our discussion today will consu- consider consumer trends, behavior, and global themes that are impacting the restaurants and dining venues. Being in an industry that serves up the most basic of human needs, which is food, the food service industry has always been at the forefront of innovation. Widespread changes in food preferences and dining experiences are being experienced globally. Some such trends prove to be long-lasting, while others tend to be more of a fad. The food service industry continues to face several issues as food technology and consumer trends and demands keep changing. We, we are uh, very glad to be here with us. And in, uh, since we are a little late, Sam, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our panelists. Uh, if you would bring everybody in, uh, that'll be great. And, and to be honest, I can't see the feed, so you're going to have to kind of uh, guide us along. I will lead you along. Don't worry about it, David. So everybody's on the scene. So just start with the introduction of, of our guests. So we've got with us today uh, Deepak Ori, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Labua Hotels and Resorts. Deepak is credited with growing this young company exponentially. Labua operates a distinct family of hotel, restaurants, and bar. The restaurant portfolio includes several destination restaurants in Thailand and India, including Sky Bar, Scirocco, and two, star, two Michelin star, uh, Mazaluna. Uh, we also have with us uh, Matthew Jaffe, who's managing partner with Capital Burger. Matt has worked with Darden for uh, 10 years. Uh, Darden is one of the largest restaurant companies with 1,800 restaurants and about eight or nine different brands. Matt is responsible for the new concept, Capital Burger, and he has traveled and eaten his way throughout the world and has been part of the restaurant industry for more than 20 years. And last but not least, Ziad Al-Kardani, who is founder and CEO of Revel Hospitality. Uh, Ziad has a long history of food and beverage involvement in the industry, uh, including hotels, restaurants, and bars. Ziad, uh, Ziad founded Revel Hospitality that manages restaurants, catering, bars, and seasonal venues. Revel's most recent venture is acquisition of Avant-Garde Leisure uh, Avant-Garde, a restaurant owner and operator in Cairo. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us and thanks for being here with us. So Sam, if it is okay, we will start the question answers with Deepak. Uh, is that okay? Yep, we have Deepak here. Welcome Deepak. Thank you, Sam. How are you? I'm excellent, thank you. Glad to have you here. Honor is mine, so Deep- thank you. Deepak, uh, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about the role of destination restaurants. Obviously, you operate some of the best uh, restaurants in uh, uh, Bangkok. 
Talk a bit about the role of destination restaurants and how they work, particularly in a market that is so heavily reliant on uh, uh, foreign tourists to come in. Okay, Abed, uh, what I'm going to say is a mix of real estate game. Destination restaurants uh, are normally done in uh, buildings or done in the shopping malls as an anchor tenant. Like any shopping mall or any building has an anchor tenant. And destination, destination restaurants are designed to bring in uh, more people so the building becomes famous. So we, uh, uh, the State Tower, that is where our uh, major restaurant portfolio is located, uh, after the 97 financial crisis was, uh, for six years, was a MTV shell building. And the value of uh, the building uh, per square feet, after we opened our first restaurant, Sirocco, increased five times. Just to give you an idea what a destination restaurant can do. Five times. And uh, you have worked a bit in uh, uh, Bangkok. We were published in a Royal Gazette because of our destination restaurants that that part where Labua is located became the most expensive real estate of Thailand. Just to give you an idea what destination restaurants can do. Destination restaurants is that you are specially going, getting dressed to go to that restaurant. It's not that you are walking into the mall and you happen to see a restaurant or a cafe, you go there. You plan. You plan in weeks ahead, you plan days ahead, and, and that is where you go. So destination restaurant has to stay ahead of the curve in creating trends, in understanding consumer behavior, in understanding the cultural values. Now, when it becomes heavily dependent on foreign tourists, it becomes another challenge. Because tourists are coming from all parts of the world. And what you need to create is a neutral menu that every tourist can adapt. Now, uh, so we have used a lot of science. We have used a lot of science uh, at the back end, including technology. But at the front end, what we have used is pure emotions and genuine emotions to create that destination space. And Sam. Well, terrific. It, it, that's that's uh, very important, and I know uh, what a, a role destination restaurants can play. Uh, Deepak, are destination restaurants more of a, a um, special occasion dining, or do you have a lot of repeat clientele that visits you? Uh, see, uh, destination restaurants cannot survive, and for that matter, no restaurant can survive if you don't have a repeat clientele. Uh, because uh, then the business becomes very expensive. Acquisition of customer is the most expensive thing in today's world. And uh, we are heavily dependent on repeat customers. So much so that people travel to Thailand to come and visit our restaurant. In year, we opened our restaurants in 2003. We have the data of 2006. That time, Thailand had only one airport, Don Mong. 60% of the private jets coming into Thailand were coming to dine with us. Oh, that's awesome. It, it certainly, uh, consumers are looking more and more for dining destinations around the world. And, and there are destinations being rated just for that. And I know Bangkok or Shanghai or Singapore 
some of these places are offering uh, absolutely fabulous experiences and, and tremendous cuisines. Talk a little bit about the consumer concerns about what the restaurants are doing or what they're offering and how have you been able to respond to that, Deepak? Uh, Avid, a very good question. Uh, so let me go a little bit. Uh, you mentioned something very interesting that uh, Shanghai, Singapore, and uh, Bangkok, for that matter, let's come to the developed part, London, New York, California, San Francisco. All these places are emerging. Now, a consumer, when we talk of emotional experience, and I'm going to tell something which many people are not going to like it. When it comes to brand, a Louis Vuitton or a Hermes in any destination is the same thing. There's no emotional experience. It is emotional buying. No emotional experience there. Meaning uh, people know what they are going to get and what would be the price range. When it comes to choosing hotels in these destinations, people already have seen through the net uh, uh, on internet that uh, what kind of room they'll be staying, how much they'll be paying. Now, when it comes to restaurant dining, they can see the menu, but the way the emotional experience is elevated uh, because you never decide what you're going to have in a restaurant. Means I may be in a good mood, I will order a champagne and suddenly I have a uh, bad day and I'm saying, okay, I'm going to have this drink just to soothe my mood and then go to the next thing. So it is a very emotional experience. Now, how do we uh, listen to a consumer? Uh, first of all, when we opened the restaurant, we admitted one fact. And this fact, most of us as a hoteliers do not admit. We admitted one thing, customers knows more than us. Rather than we educating the customers, we need to be educated by the customer. So that was the first thing. We are the first company in the world. We worked with this company called TNS and we created an index called Trim Index where we correlated the customer satisfaction with the employee training. You know, in our hotel and in our company, we do not have a training department and we do not have a marketing department. So the reason we do not have training department, we do 1,400 customers pre-COVID day per day only in food and beverage dining in our vertical destination. We believe these 1,400 customers will train our employees. And we have 1,500 employees and they will do our marketing. That is point number one. Second thing is consumer trends are very important. And a customer is looking at very small things when they go uh, in terms of destination dining or we can say luxury experience or an experience. Because every experience besides the price point, is a luxury experience. Because to have an experience is a luxury in today's world. I, I would like to put it that way. So when people go to these restaurants, they're looking for an experience. So how do you correlate to that experience? The point is how you welcome them. How you make sure that uh, you understand them. What is the menu that has to be there? How you divide when you have different restaurants, the pricing. Pricing theory is also a strategy. You know, uh, most of us told us that uh, when we opened the rooftop that people will come and look for a view. Just giving an example. Uh, uh, so we should be charging people to go to the top. We didn't do that. But what we did was we put the cameras with the counters 
and uh, that counts how many customers are entering our destination place and then uh, link that with the point of sale system and how many are paying. And this is how we started training our people in making sure that we have more people enjoying our things. Uh, we opened a bar and that's a very interesting story. We opened a bar and in Bangkok, Abid, you have been there, the bar opens and then they shut down or the business go down in six to eight months. We, this bar, uh, we opened in year 2004 and we are in right now, I'll talk until 2019, pre-COVID, 15 years and the bar is still thriving. Why? Simple thing. Anything that we are serving with the glass, we give higher quality. Anywhere we put our logo, Labua logo, whether it is a house wine or house champagne, that has to be the best quality. I've stayed at best of the hotel. But when they give us the house wine, the quality is not there. I'm not talking about the price. I'm talking about the quality. Now, these are the things the customer notice. Now, when the customer comes to a hotel or to a restaurant, say for a city hotel, when the customers come and stay, the max, the customer, besides sleeping time, doesn't stay more than two hours. And who does customer talk to? The customer talk to concierge, telephone operator, room service, and housekeeping. And we have the junior most people at these levels. So we found out from the research what the customer is looking at. When the customer come to the restaurant, they want to be guided. They want to be told. They want someone to understand that they this is their first experience. Sometimes when I go to a restaurant, even now with so much of experience, I get nervous and people ask, oh, do you have a reservation? How many of you? Oh, uh, I can't see your name. We don't do things like that because that is a big no-no when the customer is coming. So what we see is how we train. So these smaller things, have you ever seen, I went to this, uh, last week I went to a famous <coughs> restaurant, the great difficulty, I got the table. And I think I did the biggest mistake in asking the server where's the washroom. And the way he looked at me, you don't even know where's the washroom. How would I know? That was my first time to that restaurant. So you see, these small things create the experience. Food is Fair food. Enough. Yeah, you know, yeah. We are giving the best food. So when you look at these smaller things, now I'm coming to the trend part. When you are looking at these smaller things, then whatever you give to the customer, customer believes in you. Yeah, well, the look, it, there, Deepak, there, there are people that might uh, take uh, exception to your comment that uh, the likes of Louis Vuitton or Gucci or, or these brands do not have emotions because all brands are emotive. That's what makes a brand, whether uh, it's I a said, good emotion I, I or a said, bad emotion. Abed, my correction is I said they don't give you emotional experience. They give you emotional buying. Emotion is there. I use the word emotional buying. But there is no emotional experience because what is emotional experience? It is a science. Emotional experience is you enter a place, you don't know what you're going to get. And that is well, where journey begins. a different begins. experience. It might not be that you get the same thing, but it's a different experience. So we'll park that topic for now. Let me let me sure. go on. Talk about some of the emerging food trends that you've seen. What are customers asking for? And, and how are you able to deliver that? We talked about the consistency, service delivery side of it, but talk about the emerging trends relative to food. I think uh, one thing what we have noticed is the customer has become very conscious person. And uh, they are looking at sustainability. They're looking for clean food. 
they are looking at uh, no wastage. They are looking at the initiatives, how we can keep the planet clean. Uh, these are the certain things that customer is very, very conscious. And till the time we show that we are also that conscious and we cater to these needs, then the trends are emerging. What has happened also in trends, Abit, a very good question. Uh, with the rise of, see, not every city and country in the world gets New York Times food reviews. That is one of the best in the world. Okay. Uh, so uh, most of the people, they believe on the mainstream media. And mainstream media has this limitation. So in the 10 years back, the trends were very limited. With the rise of social media and people using social media, you see more emerging trends in the restaurants are coming. It's not that they are just entered the place. They were already there. People start noticing it. I am writing a book called A Bridge Not Too Far, which will be pub which will be available in March. I mentioned about these points that how customers are looking at that. So the trend that is taking uh, plant-based meat is taking on rise. It doesn't mean that people don't like normal meats. Vegan is on the rise. People are liking that. People are appreciating the right of equality, the self-respect, respecting the other cultures. And that's why you will see different kind of cuisines from different countries are emerging. Uh, now, how do these become trends? Uh, it, it's a simple thing. You, you bring these things to the people and then you give the best quality. And when you give the sure. best quality and consistent, then people talk about it. We opened a champagne bar in Bangkok. And uh, the, the, the deal was with the international company, number two liquor company in the world. And they told us the whole AC Nielsen report that champagne will not sell in Bangkok. It is too expensive. And so many previous companies have failed. You know, we opened the champagne bar and one particular champagne, Abid, we were selling more than, and that was an 18 square meter bar. The point to be noted, a 18 square meter bar was selling one brand of champagne more than whole of Singapore, including duty-free shops from that 18 square meter shop. So what happened was we, the way we presented that champagne, the way we gave the glassware along with that champagne, the way we trained the staff, that whole experience part, the customers like the education part. Customers wants to know what they are having. It's as simple. Running restaurants is the most easiest job Till the time we stay with the basics. The Fair day enough. our focus, the day our focus goes on how the chandelier should be, what a foresee should be, what should be the feature wall look like, that restaurant is never going to work. Fair enough. Well, Deepak, thank you for that. Let me turn it over to Sam and I'll be back with you in a moment. Sam. Thank you. Yeah, Deepak, uh, very interesting uh, comments you make. Uh, I have had the pleasure of visiting uh, the rooftop and, uh, and also on attending an event. So you have a fabulous, uh, I think in Metsaluna, I think you have a restaurant. I've been visiting there also. And I, I think it's a great, uh, a great value and a very addition into the Bangkok scene. But uh, what caught, my, uh, caught me now is that you were talking about uh, marketing that, uh, and uh, you see the role of your uh, staff. I don't know if you call them staff or our associates or are they your ambassadors or what you call them. I'd like to understand a little bit more of how do you see the role of your associate or the staff in terms of uh, maybe 
representing uh, the, your their outlet or the restaurant or where they work as a brand ambassador, do you give them tools in, in order to communicate, for instance, on social media about this? Or how do you go about that? I'm just curious. It sounds like a very fascinating thing you're doing. Okay, so we so we 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 create experience is an art. So what we have done is we have created a canvas. And everybody has a canvas, every employee. So they know within the campus they can paint anything. And outside of that canvas, if they have to go, they have to ask our permission. I will take, uh, I'll give you two examples so you'll understand. We had uh, one of the Centurion card members visiting us uh, just to have a tour of all our restaurants and bars and staying with us for three days. And he took a hotel limousine, a small example. He took a hotel limousine and the hotel limousine had an accident with another car, not our fault, a scratch. And the guest had to wait for one hour. The guest made a complaint that, oh, why I have to wait for one hour? You know, what did our restaurant hostess did? Our restaurant hostess is earning on a salary around $400 a month. A $400 employee authorized a return first class air ticket for the customers on the next visit and everything, all meals and all wines taken care of. That was an empowerment given to a $400 monthly salaried employee. That is in her canvas. But if she has to go and put something on a social media, she is not allowed. So this is how we have distributed our work. Mm. There is a, there's a, a trend now that because of the best marketeers of your restaurants or hotels are, of course, the customers because they will talk to their friends and that's how, how you're marketing, in the one way they're marketing on your behalf. But also there's a sense of how your employees has an opportunity because there's a, the relationship between the, the customer and the employee can become very strong. And they are the ones who have the relationship about what they're experienced. So why not look at it that the, in, in a step further and give the, by training the employees the opportunity with a with a framework, uh, what they can what they can do to uh, show how proud they are about working for Shiroko or a Rooftop, and and uh, show them a little bit about their day, or maybe the chef, uh, what he's doing. So maybe that could be a way that you even get a little bit closer. I mean, just a thought. And what are your thoughts about that? So Sam, uh, like we said, we use a lot of signs. So there's a very thin line, a very thin line uh, between knowing the customer and getting familiar with the customer. We want to know our customers. We don't want to be familiar with them. The other reason the customers come to us uh, is a privacy. Uh, we did a million baht dinner, and uh, when our guests landed on their private jets, CNN and BBC, is official, you can check, followed their cars on open jeeps with the cameras to take a glimpse they couldn't even get a single photograph of any customer. That was that's the level of our privacy. We have a rooftop restaurant where you have been, Sam. No customer is allowed to take photographs at certain areas because that is where the other customers can get photographed. So that is a level of privacy we are giving it to our people. And when we are giving that kind of privacy to our customer, we want to create a thin line of knowing them and understanding them and getting familiar with them. So, so that's the protocol we maintain as an organization. That's very interesting. And, and actually, you didn't quite understand uh, answer my question. My question was that whether you empower the employees 
to communicate on social media about how proud they are about where they are working without actually talking about showing pictures with uh, customers because I think that's not that's absolutely understandable. But maybe there's another way where they are are empowered and because we are noticing that more and more hotels and also restaurants and chefs are going on Instagram and they're going live and they are showing showcasing maybe the uh, Saturday lunch cooked by the chef and giving the recipes and that became very popular uh, during uh, the the COVID period. So that, that was really what I was uh, referring to. Okay, Sam, I'm a, I'm a little bit a conservative guy. It means if I have my say, Labo won't have social media presence. <laughs> and you may be shocked when I'm saying that. So we we don't stop anyone uh, putting the things, but we tell them in what way it should be put. Uh, our chefs do put photographs, but we are not such a big uh, social media promoter. We we like to promote our product through our customers. Good, good. Okay, that's a very up, good approach. So uh, let me then hand over to Abid to continue the discussion. Thank you. So, Deepak, one last question before we bring our next uh, guest in. Talk a little bit about changes in the in the um, dining sector, the um, gastronomic industry that you think are going to be permanent uh, changes that might have been brought about as a result of the pandemic, but they will stick around. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think what is going to happen with this pandemic is uh, they have been uh, uh, pre-pandemic technology was taking over people. Uh, we saw in Japan, robots are taking order, people are ordering through Wi-Fi, through phone and all these things. Now, what has happened with the COVID is people want to have a personal connection. now. So I think the technology will become a back end and people will come in front. Our industry, uh, Abit, is famous and is known not because of uh, brick and mortar, it's because of the people. It's the people who's making that difference. And this industry, suddenly what we see, a biggest change in our customer is they have started appreciating that personal touch of people. So people Fair who enough. were uh, not so important pre-pandemic has suddenly become very, very important. One forecast I can tell you, in next three years, the most difficult thing for hospitality industry would be to find people. Because yep. the customer would demand that they want the best experience through people, not by technology. Okay, fair enough. Well, Deepak, do stay with us. We'll have you back and, and we will uh, bring up this technological issue again because uh, there are uh, differing points of views. But please stay with us. Uh, Sam, let's bring up... Uh, Matt Jaffe uh, at this particular point, and let's uh, get his thoughts. Uh, Matt, thanks for being with us. Uh, uh, Thank you, Abby. Thank you, Sam. Uh, talk a bit about the return of comfort foods. A uh, lot of people are, are gravitating back towards the comfort foods, and it's it's a big, big, big trend that is being written about. Talk a bit about that and how has that impacted the launch of your brand? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think the big thing is, you know, my brand is three years old. So we we kind of recognized, uh, you know, probably about four or four and a half years ago that that people are looking for that comfort food. And really, you know, a burger is, you know, the quintessential American comfort food, right? You think about a backyard barbecue, uh, a party at the house, whatever that might be. But I think over the past 18 months specifically, um, 
people have spent a lot of time at home. People have spent a lot of time going back to their, their mom or dad's house or their aunts or grandparents or whatever that might be. And they've started to cook at home again and they've started to realize that this stuff is really good, right? The, the things that maybe we took for granted when we were a little bit younger. Um, now we realize, wow, this is incredible food. This is something that gives me a sense of nostalgia, uh, gives me a sense of, of happiness and pride. Um, and you're going to start seeing, and I think we already have a lot of chefs and restaurateurs that are going to start moving back towards that trend of mom and dad type cooking, uh, cooking that you would get back at your home. So I, I really think it's a great thing. Um, I think as, as a consumer, um, we're going to be looking at that and saying, wow, this is, this is where I want to be going. And this is where I want to be dining because this gives me something special and makes me feel good. Well, Matt, uh, uh, fair enough. Uh, your burger, though, when it was launched, it was meant to be luxury burger with wine pairing. Uh, uh, certainly, you have also started offering spirits and beers and craft beers along with that. But it's not an average burger that I would make at home. No, but I don't think that necessarily anything that we're going to see from the comfort food sector is going to be average. Right. I think a lot of it's going to be twists and and uh, takes on on traditional types of comfort food. Right. Uh, whether it be a fried chicken, whether it be a pot of whatever that might be. Um, and you're going to see chefs putting their twists on it. You know, for us, we you know, we looked at at the burger sector and realized that there was no luxury burger in that sector. Uh, you know, yes, you have some fantastic burgers that are you know, maybe a little bit smaller or still using the same high quality ingredients. But we decided, hey, how, how can we take this burger and elevate it? What can we do to make this better? So it starts with a, a incredible ingredients, right? The, the, best, the best beef that we can buy, um, you know, the best blend of beef that we, that we found, um, taking a, an incredible bun, right? So we use a brioche bun where, you know, yeah, at your backyard barbecue, you might use a potato bun. Um, but we use a brioche bun with salted, you know, smoked sea salt and, and black and white sesame seeds. The ingredients that we top our burgers with, you know, it's, so it's, it's, it's a take on, you know, for, for instance, our most popular burger is the capital burger, we call it. And think French onion soup meets cheeseburger. So we take all the components of a French onion soup, the mozzarella, the gruyere, the, the caramelized onions. And we've, we've put that all into one burger now in one bite. And, and I always say at our restaurant, you know, we have that moment of truth, right? When that, that guest takes that first bite and they kind of like step back and their eyes roll into their back of their head and they're like, oh my God. Um, so that's, that's what we're looking for. So yes, it's, it's not necessarily a traditional burger that you'd get while you're sitting by the pool, but it is a, a great high quality burger, which brings you some sort of nostalgia. Fabulous. So, Matt, talk about the role of technology in a uh, restaurant scene. For the last year and a half or so, particularly in the U.S., we've lived in the world of click it and pick it because it's been uh, you order online and you go pick up because a lot of the restaurants were not operating. What other changes have you seen that are being facilitated by technology? I think the biggest thing, you know, and I can speak for my restaurant alone, is the, is the the medium that we use to cook our burgers. So we use a, a an apparatus called a clamshell, um, which actually cooks the burgers on both sides at the same time. Uh, it's a technology that's um, it's been around for a long time. I I started my career actually at McDonald's, and um, you know, at about twenty three years ago, um, and we were using it back then. So it's it's not necessarily new, um, but 
what's great about it is that you can kind of train somebody to just hit a button and cook a hamburger. Uh, you put your burger down, you hit a button that says medium rare, it cooks it on both sides, and in X amount of time it comes up and it's cooked perfectly through and through. Um, what I think that does for the the labor force, for the workforce, for the restaurant, um, obviously you don't need people that are uh, trained grill cooks, uh, trained saute cooks. You can take somebody off the street and just teach them how to do this as long as they're organized and they have a sense of organization. Um, they can execute this burger on any given day. Um, obviously you spoke about the click it and pick it type thing, you know, obviously QR codes have been around for, for a long time. Um, but I think we saw the, you know, the best use for them over the past 18 months. Uh, you see no printed menus at certain restaurants, uh, you know, just scan your QR code and get a, get the website that you can now order your, your food on and then go and pick it up, um, or have it delivered to your table. Um, but I think again, what that's going to do to the, you know, what we, you know, to Deepak's point, you know, we're going to see a, a labor shortage or, or is it really a shortage, which I think we'll talk about in a couple minutes. Um, you don't necessarily need the most skilled people to do this. You need people that, that care, people that are looking to put out a good product. Um, but I can teach somebody how to do this just with the technology that I have in my restaurant now. So that's kind of, and I think in the long run, if you can do that, you can also help on a, on a bottom line type basis. You can help increase profits in your restaurant. Absolutely. Hey, one more question, Matt, before I turn it over to Sam. Talk a bit about some of the innovations that you've seen. Uh, obviously, your organizations have got uh, very high-end restaurants with the uh, you know dry-age beef steaks and a, a different, a whole spectrum of different positioning in restaurants. But talk about some of the innovations that you have seen in, in restaurant industry that is helping us. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, to be honest, I haven't seen so much on my end that's that's this huge innovation type thing. I think it's more of pivoting and more taking some of the old innovations and reusing them. Uh, again, going back to the QR codes, going back to the online ordering, you see a lot of restaurants that are using sous vide, um, making sure that they can execute a, a perfect product every single time. The clamshell that I spoke about in my restaurant. So again, it's technology that's been around for a long time. Um, I just think that it's more now with you know the way that the country or the our industry had to had to pivot throughout the world, really not our country. Um, the way that we had to pivot on a on just overnight, um, we started realizing that hey, we can use a, less of a labor force and start taking this technology and these innovations that we have that maybe we overlooked for some time because we thought that the the people piece was so important, and I, I think it still is important. People are looking for that type of experience. But we've also realized that, hey, cost of goods are increasing. Supply chain has some issues. Um, so how do, we, how do we fight that through innovation and technology? Well, I, I think you bring up an excellent point, Matt. Uh, uh, Consumer Electronics Show a couple of years ago was uh, they had featured for the first time these robotic arms that have been typically used in car manufacturing assembly plants, but they are being put into the kitchens where every single ingredient is exactly measured to the point that you put it in the recipe. So consistency would be absolutely there. Whereas if you had trained me, uh, every once in a while, I might put a little more of this and a little less of that, that will be completely taken out. So you, you bring up a great point. Plus, the labor shortages are forcing some of these 
technological implementation. So let me let me hand it over to Sam here, and I'll be back with you in a moment. Sam. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Yes, Matt, I, I was desperately trying to find out about uh, Capital Burger, and unfortunately in Helsinki we don't you're, you don't exist. So, but uh, <laughs> I, I did a little bit of googling, and uh, I ended up on a podcast called. Uh, I have to give them a shout out because they mentioned you. Uh, seems to me it's a podcast, uh, and that's where I found you. And uh, there was someone who had attended in Boston. You have an outlet in Boston, I understand, and uh, yes, she yeah. she had been recommended to go there, and she was. It was over the moon, and she, of course, tried to explain how the burgers pressed. She didn't quite know what was the technology behind it, but she mentioned like the caramelized onions and the different cuts of uh, uh, beef that goes into mixing the burger together. And, and then I went on to YouTube, and there was one of the chefs, and I was quite impressed how uh, there was a, quite a bit of buzz about Capital Burger. And then understand there's a lot of burger burger joints, if I may call them, in the U.S., there's a lot of them. What may, how was it possible for you to create that excitement uh, about the uh, a burger that you were uh, serving and producing, and then uh, it became sort of almost like a talk of the town, at least in Boston and maybe other places? Just uh, you can share a little bit, because I think it's a quite an interesting story what you have accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. So we do have three locations. We have uh, Boston, Reston, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. was our flagship that we opened about three and a half years ago. Um, yes, why we were able to or how we were able to um, create such buzz around our burger. Um, obviously, first, you know, we, we've kind of taken um, a, a lot of what we do from our, our sister restaurant, the Capitol Grill. Um, you know, we wanted to specialize in, or at the Capitol Grill, we specialize in hang, handcrafted uh, or hand carved steaks. I'm sorry, uh, dry aged meat and the best seafood that you can buy, and an incredible wine list. And we wanted to take a little bit of that uh, at the Capitol Burger and do the same. So again, kind of carving out that niche of luxury burger experience. Um, really, a lot of it though is has just been creating a an, a superior product on a plate. Um, and having great hospitality and having that experience that, that Deepak's kind of spoke about, uh, having that emotional experience when somebody comes in. It's, it's more than just putting a hamburger on a plate and some French fries and saying have a great day, right? Um, you have to create that emotional connection with your guest. Um, and that's really what we do incredibly well. Um, the, the food speaks for itself. And I always tell my team, you know, the food, the hamburgers, people are going to bite into it. They're going to love it. But what are we giving them that's creating this experience for them? It's a, it's an 18 a $20 burger, a, a $35 experience, right? Nobody needs that. They can go down the street and go somewhere else for, for, this, for a lot cheaper and have an experience also. So what are we delivering to them? So it's the hospitality piece and that, that human engagement that we're really focusing on in our restaurants. Yeah. I, during my Google search, I, I went into YouTube also, and I found it was a must be her morning show, maybe in Boston or in Washington, where the uh, the presenter met with a chef of uh, Capital Burger, and one of them evidently is a vegan. So she asked, well, because that one was like your 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 ham traditional or the gourmet burger, but she also asked about what you're offering for vegan burgers, and without uh, without a moment, the chef immediately responded that. These options are also available with you. So my question is that uh, with the now uh, different trends in terms of uh, dining and where people are asking for, uh, and they have changed their eating habits uh, and they are maybe moving not only from plant-based but more also to vegan, how do you see that as a trend uh, transforming in, in the kind of business you are doing at the moment? 
Yeah, oddly enough, we uh, we see quite a bit of our vegetarian burger uh, go out on a daily basis. Uh, it, I would I would not be uh, telling the truth if I didn't say that. You know, there's there's uh, not a week that goes by where we don't have to eighty six it because we've uh, we've sold too many of them. So um, we see it. We we make it in house. We know that it's part of the trend, the industry. Um, we also know that we can't cater to everybody, right? Um, but we try to do our best. Um, you know, and, and again, that's part of the experience piece, right? If somebody's like, hey, I'm a vegan, I, I don't see anything on the menu, your veggie burger is it's not vegan because it has egg as a binder in it, you know, then it's on us to go and, and how do we make that experience better for our guests? How do we take care of our guests? You know, we have a, a grocery store right down the street from us. We have a CVS or drugstore across the street from us. There's not a time where that happens where myself, one of my servers, um, a host, whoever it might be, runs down the street and gets something to make something special for that guest. And that's how you build lifelong relationships with, with our guests. Very good. My final question uh, is that uh, people are also very curious about where you are buying your, not you, but in general, where uh, service providers or restaurants are buying their products. And, uh, and what is your approach to sourcing your uh, your uh, the produce and, and also the meats and so on? Do you have fixed suppliers or are you trying to find the suppliers who are closer to you or how do you go about it? What's your philosophy about supplies? Yeah, we have fixed, we have fixed suppliers with our company. Um, you know, when we were sourcing uh, the beef that we were brought or that we were buying, um, we found a, a, I mean, he's about 180 miles away, so you could call him somewhat local, a butcher, a uh, very famous butcher in New York, Pat Lafreda. Uh, they're now in New Jersey and North Bergen. Um, but basically anybody who, who buys ground beef, who's a, a big time chef in the country is buying through him. Um, and we use a, a great blend of uh, brisket, chuck and short rib. We think it gives you that, that true meat flavor. It gives you great uh, fat content. And overall, it just cooks the burger really well when we, when we uh, press it on the clamshell. So um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a game that basically every restaurant has to play, right? Um, can you source locally? Can you, you know, be as good to the environment as possible? Can you be sustainable? Um, can you also deliver the best product? And sometimes the best product is not the local product. Let's be real, right? Sometimes the best product comes from the Midwest. And I think you saw that with, you know, Chef Thomas Keller out, out in uh, California, you know, he, he wanted to support um, small farms as opposed to necessarily supporting local farms. And he was buying butter from Vermont and he's out in California. So, you know, it's, it's about sourcing the best product possible wherever that might be. Right. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Matt. And uh, over no to worries. you, Abit. Thank you. Uh, uh, Matt, one last question before we bring our next guest in. Uh, 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 the, the trend with ghost kitchens, what are your thoughts on that? Is Darden uh, getting into that? Will that take the business away and impact the dining experiences? So I, I can't speak to what Darden's doing on that, um, just because, to be frank, I don't really know. Uh, I'm not privy to those conversations. I, I think um, I think that they're a great trend. I think that they certainly help the um, the restaurateur, the chef out in terms of profitability in the long run. Um, I also think that they take away that human interaction, um, and I'm not sure necessarily that that is the best thing. Um, but I do think that it's something that is has obviously been very popular um, over the past 18 months, especially. And I think it's also something that's here to stay. I don't think it's going away. So I think as a consumer, you have to decide what you're looking for on, on that 
particular day? Are you looking for the experience? Are you looking for uh, the human interaction? Or are you looking for, hey, I just want to hop up to a window and grab a sandwich or a burger or a, you know pizza, whatever it might be? Or do I want to call you know my my Grubhub or or you know whatever other platform you might have and just get it out of the back door and it's going to come to my house? So I think it's really dependent on what the consumer is looking for. I think the consumer is is happy with it right now. Um, so we'll see how that trend kind of plays out over the next couple of years, though, because again. To Deepak's point, I think people are looking for that human interaction, and it's something that's been lacking for the eight, the past eighteen months, and it's something that we need. Well, thank you, thank you so much, Matt. Uh, please stay with us; we'll have you back. But let's uh, let's bring uh, Ziad forward, Sam. Ziad, thanks for taking the time, uh, and and also uh, congratulations on your most recent acquisition. That's Robin. Thank you very much. Well, let me let me clear that one out first. It's not an acquisition; it's more of a an, another com- company with a different set of partners. Besides, Rebel Hospitality still operating, so just to, to give credit to you where it is. Well, thank you for that. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, talk a little bit about the common issues facing the restaurants. We where you've heard from Deepak in in Mass. Obviously, you operate in a very different environment. Uh, so talk a bit about uh, the common issues that are facing restaurants in, in your region. Sure. Sure. Well, uh, from what Matt said, I mean, uh, automating things and making things a little bit uh, easier to get people off the street and being able to work without having uh, that much experience or knowledge is definitely a plus point, especially in countries like Egypt. It makes things a lot easier. And we've been doing that uh, without technology even previously, whether by using master kitchens or standardized recipes somewhere where they are moved from a master uh, kitchen to set of restaurants or booths or whatnot. Uh, so technology is definitely, I would say, on our side at the moment. Uh, how we use it is completely different from um, Matt's burger place to... Uh, Deepak's uh, luxury hotels, they're completely different in, in, in how we use them from here to there. But I would not, uh, I would not assume that we can work without them. Uh, right now, we're using those in, uh, in experienced dining restaurants, uh, whether it's from areas where people can uh, take pictures uh, to, to post on their Instagram or whether how we interact with the, with our guests on Instagram, on other social media platforms, I think is extremely important or else we'll be blinking in the dark. Uh, back in the days, advertisements was a different story, magazines and newspapers. But right now, I think uh, uh, the challenge is always to, to, uh, to be out there for as many people as possible. Obviously, the clientele is different in our culture than other cultures. So... Uh, we do need to do a bit of uh, exploration and education to the guests. And it's a both-way stream. We need to learn from them what they want. And we need to try also with them some things of what we might think would interest them one way or another. Um, yeah. Fair enough. So it, let's let's talk a little bit about the cocktails. Uh, craft cocktails is, is being talked about all over the place, but also at the same time, uh, 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 and I would use healthy-ish cocktails are being talked about. What have you seen? What are consumers looking for? Are, uh, is wine in or out? Is spirits in? 
Uh, talk a bit about that. Well, uh, I would say wine is never going to be out. Wine and spirits are always going to be the cornerstones of any person that's having a drink. Uh, a wine with a steak, uh, nothing beats that, to be honest. Although I would love to have a dirty martini before that is an aperitif. Nothing is against that as well. I think, um, I believe that people want to experience different flavors combined from products that they are very, very familiar with. Uh, people see plates as if it's a piece of art on a canvas, like Deepak saying, uh, and, and they don't understand maybe all the ingredients or how that sauce uh, came from. But people are more familiar with spirits a little bit more, and they get very surprised seeing a certain garnish or having a, a certain flavor on the palate using ingredients that they maybe have in their own house. Um, I think cocktails is, is always there. It, it never went out. It has its phases, that's for sure. And I think as people are, are testing new things and, and wanting to experience new things, cocktails is one of that list. Uh, classic cocktails is doing a big comeback now because people are more palate-oriented and the palate is getting more sophisticated. It's not only sweet stuff anymore. People are looking into bitter stuff, uh, acidic stuff. Uh, and, and, I would, uh, and I'd be very surprised if you don't find... Uh, Cocktail pairing menus coming up very soon in, in most outlets abroad, possibly, hopefully. Um, it is it is a big chunk of the, the food and beverage industry, and I think um, not every not every day, every guest, every restaurant is good for just wine and a spirit. Some restaurants, I think, uh, are very much striving on cocktails and the theme of having a different drink every time, not the same drink over and over again. Uh, thank you for that. It, let's go on to the next thing, which is uh, uh, very much sought after, to be honest, from a visitor's point of view. And, and Egypt being another market that is heavily dependent on inbound arrivals, talk a little bit about the street food. Uh, places like Singapore or New York or Bangkok and Cairo, it, it, they definitely have street food element that is very, very popular. Talk a bit about how does that help position the destination? What is it like and how can we make the street food more appealing for international visitors in a destination? I'm very happy you mentioned this point, actually. Uh, and thank you for that point. Street food is very dear to our heart as Egyptians. We've always had them. And there is this uh, joke all the time after going to a fine dining restaurant, you always stop at your street. Uh... Ziad, we might have uh, lost your audio, and I'm not sure if anybody else can hear you, but I have lost your audio. I think it's frozen also. So I hope he will uh, he will catch up again here. Yeah. Uh, so we will we will continue on with him uh, uh, as he reconnects, uh, Sam. But let's let's bring everybody back together, and uh, we can we can uh, uh, have some of the uh, uh, conversations. Yeah. So, uh, uh, gentlemen, uh, thanks for all your input. The moment uh, Ziad comes back, uh, we will pick that up. Uh, um, and we'll have that conversation.
but let me let me ask um, uh, some other questions, and and maybe uh, um, Deepak, if I may ask you to communicate, uh, 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 opine on this: restaurants as community social hubs. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's a great idea uh, uh, for any place uh, to be successful. Uh, we need. Uh, community social hub. So I'm going to give you two or three examples of that. I think you were just talking about street food. And the best way to create these kind of experiences is that you take certain of these street foods out of the community, help them and develop them in a better sitting area so that more people can experience that food, uh, not necessarily bringing the pricing high. And when you create, uh, there's a huge development uh, in New York uh, one of the largest real estate development. But when they created their destination, well, the only mistake I think they did was they didn't bring their community restaurants into their development. So I think community restaurant is a very, very important thing. I'm a big fan and every customer is a big fan of community, uh, uh, promoting uh, your neighborhood, uh, promoting the sustainable things, promoting the best practices, and a right of equality. So, so I'm a big fan of that, and uh, we are doing that. Sorry, I think and, I've been disconnected. Uh, can you guys hear me now? Yeah, we can definitely hear you, but I think your picture is uh, uh, still missing there. Uh, so, the, uh, uh, Sam, oh, there you are. I think you're back. So, uh, thank you, thank you, Deepak, uh, for for that. My next question, Matt, if I may ask you. Um, People are looking for transparency and traceability about where the food comes from. Sam had talked about that a little bit earlier. In, in blockchain technology and other tools that have been implemented, it, it is being absolutely sought after. A lot of the chefs also put where the food has come from on the menu. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that adds value or, or is it just a hype? Yeah, I think it certainly adds value. Um, I think, yes, we're looking for it. Um, it's not something that we happen to do in our brand. Um, again, we are, are kind of a much bigger uh, corporation, so we, we look all over the place for our product. But um, I think for a smaller uh, type of, of restaurant or you know, mom-and-pop type place, I think it certainly adds a piece to their, to their menu. It adds a piece to their marketing. It adds a piece to... The consumer, uh, the consumer is definitely looking for that right now, especially over the last 18 months where where we've seen that the supply chain is is uh, very much fractured. Um, so I think that's that's certainly something that's going to stick around and something that's not going anywhere for a very long time. Terrific. Ziad, uh, uh, glad to have you back reconnected. Thank you. We, Thank you very much. we were we were. Uh, uh, um, we lost you when we were talking about the street food, but let's let's move on to some of the best practices in dining experiences relative to use of social media. Uh, you heard Deepak said that he's a, a conservative uh, person, might not necessarily uh, subscribe to a lot of social media use. What are your thoughts? What is an Instagrammable plate? And does that add value? Well, it definitely adds value. I, I'm, I'm going back to what Deepak said. Yes, I personally 
I'm not a fan of social media on a personal level because I, I cherish my privacy. But if, if, as Deepak is saying, we need to learn from our guests. And when we see guests looking at a plate and taking a minute or two to photo, to take a photo of that plate or make a story, we need to calculate that in the heat of the plate, that it's not going to be eaten just as we deliver it. Uh, and if we don't do that, then it's shame on us, to be honest, because if it is Instagrammable, then great. Then we need to make sure that they have the time to still take a photo and eat their steak while it's still hot. Um, we need to incorporate tools uh, for them to be able to do that, from lighting even on the table, uh, without, without adjusting the whole restaurant, but giving necessary light that showcases the plates. Uh, necessary light that showcase the bartender shaking a cocktail. Necessary light that and place for a trolley for an experience to be to, to be uh, communicated between our people and the guest. Uh, if if it's an interactive uh, service where, for example, uh, a simple bread basket comes out on a trolley and a variety of salts and a variety of butters and oils, this interaction is a connection between us and the guest, and it makes them feel special. Obviously, it turns it into a memory. A memory means he puts it on Instagram, and that is great for business. Um, I'm very happy to hear that other restaurants around the world uh, can work without marketing. Unfortunately, that's not the case over here, but um, I'd, rather, I'd rather prepare myself and, and make sure that the guests are comfortable while they're, while they're doing their own word of mouth, and we are also replying to them with our word of mouth through our chefs, our bartenders, our marketing team, and, and making sure that the message is both delivered by both. So you have our pictures done very professionally, and you have the guests. And, and, and guests looking from abroad from that screen can compare and see the effort done, the backstage work done, just to deliver that simple plate. Uh, from the suppliers all the way to the stewards, how long does it take us to clean up? You know, all these things guests are very interested in knowing. Uh, I very don't think true. we sell water on the table. So I think we sell the experience of serving that water on the table. And that's where, where we mark up. And if, well, look, if we're not capable of making that a show, then... A lot of the consumers uh, uh, are using social media. As a matter of fact, to be honest, Bangkok at one point was the highest consumer of social media in the world. Uh, it, it had surpassed uh, uh, Shanghai. But uh, be that as it may, it's different client base that might or might not utilize it. But there are a lot of folks that live or die by it. Uh, uh, the, back to you, Ziad. Uh, talk a little bit about sustainability. It, it has been around for the longest time. It has become a bigger topic of discussion now. What can we do to keep sustainability on the front burner? No pun intended. I think, uh, well, we, when we spoke, we discussed this already. I mean, uh, over here, we have a tradition. Uh, and we do have a lot of people that are under the poverty line in the country. So it's tradition that we don't throw food. You know, uh, we make sure that all the food goes out for our neighboring communities because there are people around us everywhere that could use that food. And um, after COVID situation, I think this became a really best practice and more focused on by, by even supermarkets. We see France putting a law that 
supermarkets need to give the poor and the homeless uh, all the food and not throw it away. Uh, if we abuse what we're, what we're eating all the time and if we abuse what we have, we will end up not having anything and we need to be smart about it. We need to challenge our people how they use the product and uh, we, need to, we need to utilize every part of whatever, whatever animal or plant we are getting into our restaurant. Do the best, and if we can't use it ourselves, let's make sure that someone else is benefiting from it and not just bid it away. I think I'd like to be as sustainable as Europe. Unfortunately, we have difficulties with that. <clears throat> but I think if we are always focusing on that other people can utilize what we have, if we can't utilize it, then that's a plus point. Well, fair enough. I, I think zero waste is absolutely front and center with the consumers. They want to make sure that to the extent possible, there is very little waste in the restaurant. So thank you for that. Let me turn it over to Sam and I'll thank be you. back with you in a moment. Sam. Thank you. Well, I want to first of all give a shout out. We have uh, several viewers here who have just sent messages and I just want to recognize uh, Willem van Boldrum based in Helsinki and there's Vivek. Uh, and he sends messages uh, to Mr. Uh, Depak, uh, and uh, he was uh, he was wondering a few things about uh, uh, what is the mantra behind to keep level food and beverage trend competitive when there is existence of so many famous dining venue at the Bangkok. So maybe you can answer that question in a moment. But also uh, we have uh, Ahmed uh, Soed from Egypt saying hello. So we have somebody from. Great to see someone from Egypt joining us. And then we have Andres Arturo Vega Aguero. He says, hello, everyone from Peru. So great to have viewers from Peru joining us. So, uh, but uh, uh, Deepak, could you perhaps answer Mr. Vivek's question? What is the mantra behind to keep the level of food and beverage trend competitive when there is existence of famous dining venues in Bangkok? Maybe with the two examples would be great if you will. Okay, I may sound arrogant, uh, but this is what we do. We don't sell food and beverage. We only sell experience. So that's why we stay competitive and others are selling food and beverage. That's the only difference. It's a, just one statement that explains all. We are not selling food and beverage. We are selling experience and food and beverage is part of it. Others are selling food and beverage and experience is part of it. That's the difference. Okay, very good. So I, I hope this satisfies Mr. Vivek's uh, uh, question. Uh, I, I mean, there is talk about sustainability and of course this is a ongoing issue and um, the voices are getting louder and louder. Uh, what would be some concerns, uh, short-term and long-term you have relating to it, you know, able to be sustainable in your operations? Maybe uh, Matt, you maybe you can start with Matt and then, then Ziad and Deepak. I think the biggest thing to be sustainable for for restaurants right now for the industry is really making sure that there's enough farmers that are having or that that receive the support from the government to to actually continue to do their job. Um, it's not easy to be a small farmer. It's not easy to be uh, a small farmer who raises cattle or or produce or whatever that might be. Um, and it's a lot easier to be a large cattle farm in the Midwest and get subsidies from the government and, and whatnot. So I think that's the biggest, the biggest issue, the biggest fight that we're going to have right now is uh, for us as a consumer, we need to continue to support these local uh, ventures, whether it be, you know, cattle farmers, beef or um, pig farmers, uh, 
produce farmers. And if we don't do it and we don't kind of set the, uh, the tone for everybody else, then it's just not going to happen. So, yeah, thanks. And how about you, Ziad? What, what is your comment? Well, I, I think I agree with, with Matt. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have, we, we do have different types of government support for farmers over here, uh, not related to COVID too much. But uh, I think if we are a local brand at the end of the day, if everybody goes to the international big chains, then we will be out of business. So we have to think about them in the same manner. Um, and I think supporting each other, supporting the community near you first and then going further as much as you have to is very important because uh, other than that, we'll end up uh, having to purchase from bigger markets or bigger vendors where we'll have to buy at their price at their rates at their terms. Yeah, but how about the questions from the suppliers? Basically, uh, there are several people now who are asking sort of really hard questions at, uh, uh, about how they are handling the, the packaging, uh, how are they recycling this, uh, how are they looking after the employees, uh, what are the conditions for the employees? Uh, and I'm just giving a few examples which are now being uh, surfacing in terms of sustainability and, you know, uh, it's not only the, the product itself. Any... Any feedback on that, Zian? What are you what are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't want to give you fake statistics that that I don't have, mm. but I can tell I can tell you that uh, Egypt is a poor country on its own. Mm. We've always been very sustainable from before COVID. You know, uh, yes, we don't have recycling bins over here for the consumer, but I can tell you everything that goes in the garbage is recycled through a huge team of groups. It's a huge business over here. Uh, same thing with farmers. I mean, uh, I can tell you as well that nothing in the animal goes to waste, uh, whether there because there are tiers of butchers. So you have the first tier of butcher that picks the best cuts and has the certain team for that and sells for that certain client. And then you have that second tier butcher after him that takes the remaining of that uh, cattle and then he sells it to other people. And you have people buying bones until until today, you know, it's, it's very important. Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about uh, businesses and restaurants, I'm talking about homes. Yes. Uh, so sustainability is completely different from one country to another. Yes. Dubai is, when I was working there, Dubai is a completely different story. Sure. Uh, but uh, I, I, I agree with, with Matt and I agree definitely that we have to keep in mind that uh, scales of operation differs and scales of operation for uh, vendors differ. It, not necessarily that one vendor can give me everything, that I have to get everything from that vendor. I can split the work on other people as well. Well, thank you, Ziad. I had the pleasure of opening and, and working in, in Cairo for a while, so I'm, what you're saying is very familiar, so it's nice to hear that. Thank you. And Deepak, what are your thoughts on this? Okay, so we believe, uh, I think I've said that earlier, so I'll give a, a classic example which we have accomplished. So uh, uh, we have another French restaurant called Chef's Table. And uh, the chef, along with the chef, is not my initiative, it was our chef's initiative. Okay, I wish I can take the credit, but there's nothing to my credit as the chef Vincent. We've got the butter from the local cream and made the butter ourselves. And that was in French restaurant, in Thailand was unheard of. Because you said you are creating a French food, you have to get 
and we try to support our local farmers in this restaurant trying to get as much of supply locally possible see when we started our place in 2003 we made certain entry barriers in terms of beverage policies uh, certain food policies so we try to import as little food as possible and support our local farmers local community not only buying from them but our chefs go and educate them that how to get a better quality but then we have our restrictions in terms of the quality of soil the weather and everything and we cannot fight these natural causes so what we do is we import the food product sustainability uh we treat our waste very carefully uh and the waste is every waste product okay the leftover food we give it to the charity so we do our bit uh in everything what we do so 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 i think uh, till the time we do not support our local community and local farmers the idea of supporting local farmer is that they become sustainable more restaurants open and when more restaurants open destinations like us will flourish very good well thank you devak uh, abid Thank you. Gentlemen, in the age of cooking networks and YouTube availability where the world has gotten to be exposed to ethnic cuisines, flavors from around the world, talk a little bit about how is it that the restaurants are able to meet the expectations of a consumer? And Matt, if you don't mind taking the lead on this question, please. Yeah, again, I think it's just listening to what your consumer says, right, and kind of getting a sense on on a daily basis of what they're looking for. So, um, you know, if it's if it's a a Hispanic type of cuisine that they're looking for, um, you know, we want to try to deliver that type of experience for them. If it's a um, Asian type of cuisine, you know, we we have. That's always the biggest one. It's a kind of a I don't want to call it an easy an easy out, but you know when you think about what goes on in, in most restaurants, it's it's pretty much uh, an Asian influence when they're trying to to kind of melt things together. Um, the consumer loves it. Um, so how do you deliver on that experience is is really the question. And and really it's just listening to the guest, listening to the consumer on a daily basis listening to what their likes and dislikes are and then trying to meet that expectation. And, and if you don't listen to your consumer, whether it be on, on that or anything, you're not going to be a very successful uh, food and beverage type of outlet. So, Thanks, Matt. In, in Deepak, if I may ask you that, again, the, the cooking channels and YouTube has created hundreds of gourmands around the world. How are we able to meet their expectations? A, a quick snippet on that, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Uh, we travel three months a year, uh, a bit. First of all, to different parts of the world to understand uh, how locals are eating. Uh, first of all, in different parts of the world. So, ninety days a year is dedicated to that. Second, we do a lot of research and uh, go with the uh, widely acceptable flavors, like umami flavor, and we try to incorporate that in our cuisine. So we 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 are very research based organization. So we see what are the flavors that uh, people are uh, accepting and going. So even people like clean food, how umami would work there? That is a piece of art that we let our chef decide. But we tell the chef that this is the flavor we have to use, 
and this is what the locals are eating and then we give these things tools to our chefs and then they see what they have to do so we use a lot of science in this like i mentioned earlier abit uh, we if you look at our, any of our restaurants menu is the most simplest menu you will ever see in the world but the science that goes because we have to be neutral because we are catering to more than 70 different nationality 1400 customers every day so we have to create this neutral menu and we just cannot create depending on one deeper curry or one chef so we take a lot of research on this thank you thank you gentlemen last question in in ziad i'm going to start with you but if the rest of her would think about it uh two concerns for the industry moving forward uh what do you think are the biggest challenges uh uh, uh, uh zia well i think one of our biggest challenges right now is uh the human factor um be- between people wanting the connection between uh, between guest and another human factor and the education the background the experience there is a big gap of where people what guests want and what employees are able to do right now or right off the the street uh it's not the same uh like before because the demand has changed magnific- magnificently and i think this is one of the huge uh issues that at least we're facing over here uh we really need to educate our team and our family to to learn the different cultures to learn the different flavors the different palates and to be able to serve the food uh and the experience in the way that the guest really wants it uh this this is a process that i would say is not an easy one in countries that uh your your waiter is is not ever experiencing a restaurant like he's working in due to financial differences um so i know this might not be the issue in europe or the states where waiters and chefs are out and about more than countries like here but i think the gap is is getting bigger and bigger and bigger in our side of the world between employee and guest um the second thing that i would say is um the sustainability of an employee in the restaurant business uh if i mean we've lost a lot of great people during the covid to other businesses completely uh people move to real estate people move to uh online brokerage people move to other things because they've uh, they're a little bit fed up of being uh, always under the pressure of covid terrorism seasonality uh you know any any little thing that affects the community the first one goes down is the fmb industry yeah, um, yeah. fair enough so, yeah. uh, th- Thank you. Thank you Ziad. Uh Matt, Thank your you thoughts so two two concerns that you see that are uh, facing us uh, in this industry. Yeah, I agree with Ziad on the human aspect of it. Um I think the the perceived labor shortage that we have right now and I say perceived because I'm not so much I'm not so sure that it's necessarily a labor shortage as it is a shortage of qualified labor. um so i think that's going to be on us as operators and restaurateurs and hospitality humans to to really look at people and who they are and say uh yeah you might not have the skills already but you have the the intangibles right you care about people uh you can have a conversation with people and you care about the experience and then it's on us to make sure that we train people properly and show them the way uh for each one of us on on 
this video right now, we've all, somebody took a chance on us at one time. We never had the experience until we had the experience. So I think it's important that we kind of pay it forward as well. Um, and then the other piece is really the supply chain. Um, you know, I'm seeing it in, in my uh, restaurant now, uh, whether it be calamari that I couldn't get for three weeks or uh, the increased price of beef or whatever it might be. Um, there's, there's a serious problem with the supply chain right now. Um, there's a, a problem with the, you know, finding help. There's a problem with finding workers to, to uh, supply the products for us. Um, but really there's a shortage of, of product at the end of the day as well. And that's going to be a big problem for us moving forward. Thank you, Matt. Uh, uh, particularly in U.S., I know supply chains are badly impacted. Uh, last but not least, Deepak, quickly two concerns from your lens that uh, the industry is facing head on. Okay, I'm. Uh, I think uh, this is going to be a tough one for me to answer. I have only one concern, and that one concern is I'm speaking from everywhere in the hospitality that how we as CEOs and owners are going to face the people just because of COVID, we got them out of the job. We never got anyone out in our company and we never sacked anyone. And I think uh, the reason why we have labor shortage and we will have it because these people have lost faith in us. They, it was no fault of theirs and we got them out. How we are going to correct this mistake of ours uh, is going to impact the hospitality industry moving forward. That's what I have to say. Thanks for joining us this week on the Hospitality Talks podcast. If you found value in this show, we appreciate a rating. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that will help us too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.